Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, July the 1st, 2023. It is currently 10.30 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And, well, I guess I should say I'm sorry. Look, I know, look, class, I know I told you what was going to happen, right? I told you that tomorrow at Victory Baptist Church, I would do three hours of teaching on the book of Jeremiah. Then I would be gone for a week. And all you have to do is listen to five different sermons on the Sermons 2.0 app on the book of Jeremiah. Five different teachers, like five substitute teachers, you can listen to five sermons, take notes. That's it. That's all you're going to have to do. I, I, I was making everything simple. And here I am on Saturday, July the 1st, 2023. And I'm like, well, maybe we'll do just a little bit more teaching on Jeremiah before I leave. I, I, I can't, I can't, I don't think I can allow myself to, to leave on Monday with where we are. I mean, don't we need to do a little bit more study? Now, I, I'm, I am, I know this is going to turn into an assignment. I know, I know. Listen, class, class, come on. Don't get mad. Don't get frustrated. You're, you're, I'm not going to make it like, you know, do before I come back. You, you have the entire study of Jeremiah to work on this. It should be fun. Okay. I don't know about fun. Some of you may find it fun, but I hope you find it to be very beneficial and very interesting because Whenever you're studying any book of the Bible, whenever you're studying any passage, a verse, a word, anytime you're studying anything in the Bible, obviously, the way you study it, the way you interpret it, the conclusion you arrive at is going to be heavily based on the hermeneutic you are utilizing in the study of that passage, right? And obviously, people use different hermeneutical systems and methods and ideas and principles because that's, that explains one of the reasons we all show up to such radically different conclusions. Now, some people who try to interpret the Bible, and I know this, this a lot of people don't like this. Because they're like, no, it, it doesn't work that way. The Bible is clear and anyone can interpret it. I think a part of the, part of the problem and why we show up to so many different conclusions is a lot of people don't really know anything about hermeneutics. They don't even know the different systems. They don't even know the different principles. And so then they're, what are they utilizing to interpret it? So obviously hermeneutics play an important part in Bible study. And if you've been a part of our Bible study exercise podcast series, you know that time and time again, I will try to sometimes I will one, I'll teach you a Bible study method to work on the observational part of Bible study. And then I, a lot of times we'll throw out different concepts and hermeneutical principles to try to continue to equip you to help you become a better Bible student. Remember this entire series, the entire Bible study exercise series is designed to get you up off the couch to a table, Bible, reference tools, notebooks, pencils, and you study for yourself. This was never designed for you to just sit there and listen to me. It was always designed that even in my teaching, it's like, well, could it be this? Maybe it's this. What about this? And kind of just leave it there so that hopefully you'd be like, okay, well, let me go figure it out because I'm trying to motivate you to study for yourself. Now, whenever you're studying, 
any of the Old Testament prophetic books, whether major, uh, the, the major prophets or the minor prophets, whenever you're studying any Old Testament prophetic books, your hermeneutical method, your hermeneutical approach is of the utmost importance because depending on which method you're utilizing, you're going to come to radically different conclusions. And when you're studying books like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel or just really any, any of the minor prophets, any of them, one issue arises over and over and over within Christianity and leads to these radically different interpretations. And that question is, do I interpret prophecy in the Old Testament in a literal way? Or do I do so in a non-literal way? Do you interpret it literally or allegorically or metaphorically or, or spiritualize it? Now, some people who definitely their hermeneutic leads to a spiritualizing of the text, an allegorizing of the text, they usually get very offended and say, no, 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 we take it literal when it's, when it's, when it needs to be literal. But in these cases, clearly it's not literal. So then it becomes, how do you know when it's literal? And how do you know when it's not literal? Which again leads to more disagreement. But specifically speaking, let me give you an example. When you read passages that talk about Israel being regathered to the land, is that actual Israel, uh, actual Israel being regathered to actual land? Or does somehow Israel now is not Israel, it's spiritual Israel, it's the church, and land doesn't mean actual land? When it refer, or do you believe that that all was fulfilled when they came out of Babylonian captivity? When they came out of Babylonian captivity, why is it mentioning Israel? Because it wasn't it Judah. Okay, there, there are so many questions. But when it talks about Israel, Israel being saved, Israel being you know a, a, a new heart and being transformed and changed, and and they're they're going to walk with God and never disobey again. Literal, or somehow does that reference the church? Literal Israel, literal transformation, literal new heart, literally going to obey when it says that Israel's going to be regathered in the land and their enemies will never, ever impact them again. Literal, or is that somehow the church? When it talks about the house of Israel and the house of Judah, is that literal the, the northern and southern kingdoms or is that somehow the church? I mean, these kinds of issues show up over and over and over. And depending on one, your hermeneutical principles, you're going to arrive at different conclusions. That's why some people can read Jeremiah, they can read Isaiah, and they can say, God is not done with Israel. He made promises here that has never been fulfilled, and it's going to have to be fulfilled. And it's going to mean that Israel is going to be regathered together as a nation. It means that somehow they're going to be redeemed, they're going to be saved, and it means they're going to get the land that they were never given. It means a temple is going to be built. They're like, they're looking for all of these literal things. And then other people come along and go, you're so foolish, and that's so naive, and you don't know how to read the Bible. No. That That is talking about the church. That's talking about how the church will be redeemed and the church will do this. And that's all promises to the church because Israel's been replaced with spiritual Israel. We don't look for physical Israel, a nation. We're looking for spiritual Israel, the church. And you're like, well, how did you come to that conclusion? And they're looking at you. How did you come to that conclusion? It's a, it's a very important 
issue. So I thought, just to make sure you have plenty to think about and plenty to do, well, I'm gone for basically four days. Okay, I'm so worried for being gone for four days. Basically four days, I guess maybe totally five days. I mean, who knows? If I could, if I can get back early enough on Friday, I'll do a, an episode on Friday. So maybe only four days. We'll see. But I thought, hey, you know what? Since it's, it's, I know it's a holiday weekend slash week. If I can get people to really start thinking about this and maybe give them an exercise, it could be greatly beneficial. At least they would be aware of this issue. And when they hear it, they would immediately be able to identify, oh, 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 I know what they're doing. They're taking this approach to the text. I take this approach to the text. It would be very beneficial. Again, my job is to try to equip you so that you're no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And the best way to do that is to explain all the different doctrines so that you understand it and that you can hear it and you understand how they approach the scriptures. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to spend, I don't know how long this is going to take, but we're going to spend at least, at least at a minimum, probably an hour talking about the interpretation of prophecy. The interpretation of prophecy, primarily specifically focused on how this would, uh, would uh, apply to the book of Jeremiah and any of the major and minor prophets. Again, it really almost always comes down to things related to Israel. That's where really the divide happens, right? I went to so many different Bible colleges, so many different seminaries, and some of them I went to were very all-millennial, right? So when some of these promises about Israel, they would be like, no, that's not physical Israel. That's the church. It's not going to be fulfilled literally. It's going to be filled spiritually. Those promises are not for the nation of Israel. Those promises for the church. Those curses, those judgments, that's for the nation, so when Israel's going to be regathered, no, not, not to actual regather to the land. And, and no, we don't look for a regathering or a salvation of the nation. Spiritual Israel will be gathered. They will be saved. That's speaking of the church. And then others, I went to other schools like, absolutely not. God made promises to Israel that was never literally fulfilled and they must be literally fulfilled. They will be regathered. They will be saved. They will build a temple. They will inherit the land. All of those promises will be literally fulfilled. And you have, I mean, this is a massive divide in the world of Christianity. So I'm going to be using an article written by David Cloud from Way of Life Literature. And he entitles this Interpretation of Prophecy. Now we're going to be utilizing this, and then I'm going to give you an assignment in the book of Jeremiah. All right. A pretty fun one, but it should be beneficial. Now, this article was published June the 14th, 2023. Here we go. It begins with this heading. The normal, literal method. The normal, literal method. This article is going to promote that the way you should be interpreting biblical prophecy found in the major and minor prophets, the, the, the way you should be interpreting this kind of prophecy is what they were referring to as the normal, literal method of interpretation. This is how the article reads. The normal, literal method of Bible interpretation refers to the manner 
and which human language is ordinarily interpreted. Let me read that again. The normal, literal method of Bible interpretation refers to the manner in which human language is ordinarily interpreted. Now, for me, this is the only way I think you can even approach until things just get bizarre. Like, I mean, when you're reading the Bible, you're going, I mean, if we cannot understand it and the, and the way in which human language is ordinarily interpreted, we're in trouble. Now, we do understand the Bible obviously uses things like figure, different types of figures, uh, figurative language or figures of speech. We talked about all of them in the book of Jeremiah, right? I, I told you to go through and identify all the different figurative language and identify the type of figurative language. We know it is there. But when we we have to identify, typically the text, just reading it, you should be like, well, clearly that's figurative language. But what we are looking for normally is the, and this, and sometimes this is what makes these prophetic books so difficult because sometimes you're like, well, clearly that's figurative language. Clearly that's hyperbole. Clearly, like sometimes you can tell that. And other times you're like, well, no, I think that that is that sh- it should be taken in a normal, literal way. All I know is if we go through the if we go through a, the Bible, if we're reading the Bible, and we start finding ourselves going, no, 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 Israel isn't Israel, Judah isn't Ju- Judah, land isn't land, Re- being regathered to the land is not actually being regathered to the land. That when we start uh, basically making these words. Uh, meaning something that in the that they would typically not mean when you're looking at the normal way that language is typically understood. Well, then who gets to control the the meaning? See, that's always the problem. When Israel is in Israel and Israel now represents this and land doesn't represent land, it represents this. Once you are no longer basically using the way human, you're no longer interpreting things in a manner in which human language is ordinarily understood. Who controls it? Who controls it? You're like, well, that says Israel. Yeah, but that's not it. That's the church. Okay. According to what? Well, that says land. Well, no, it's not actual land. Well, that says temple. That's not the actual temple. It's a spiritual temple. Well, that says, no, that's not actually that. Who gets to control what it isn't or what it is? To me, it opens the door for chaos to ensue. And obviously, I'm very sensitive to this since I was a student in the Family Radio School of the Bible when Harold Camping was in charge. I was a student of that school, and it started off very typical reformed, all millennial, and then the next thing you know, Harold Camping started slowly with this bizarre interpretation, making everything almost allegorical. Next thing you know, he's telling us that the world's going to end in 1994. He's making all of these predictions. That doesn't happen. He moves it to somewhere in the 2000s. I don't remember the exact year. And then next thing you know, he's telling us the church age is over. Everyone should flee their local congregations. If you stay in the local congregation, you're taking the mark of the beast. It's all this craziness. And a lot of it was based on the book of 
Jeremiah, because now he's coming along going, no, that represents this, and that represents this, and that represents this. And you're like, well, wait, the normal language would would be this. And he goes, and then, of course, the argument would be about, yeah, read Jeremiah. The norm, normative language is not always the case. So it becomes very difficult. But I just think what you should typically strive to do is that you should use a Bible interpretation that refers to the manner in which human language is ordinarily understood, uh, ordinarily interpreted. That should at least be the, the basis of how you approach the text. This approach has been called the golden rule of Bible interpretation. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, but take every word at its primary literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. Let me read that again. I would challenge you to write this down, all right? I would challenge you to write this down. Let me read it to you again. Listen carefully. This is very important. Okay, the, the normal literal method, right? Meaning interp- the interpretation refers to the manner in which human language is ordinarily interpreted, right? This normal literal method, it is sometimes called the golden rule of Bible interpretation, Now, here we go. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, but take every word at its primary literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. I think that's a good principle to go by. You take the, you look, you take every word at its primary literal meaning, unless the immediate context, unless the facts of the immediate context says, well, well, wait a minute, that is not making sense. If I take that literal, that is not going to make any sense. But typically, you just go with the literal understanding of the words. Unless something's like, wait, that, what, we, that, that, there's just no way that, that there's no way that can be the case. Then you start struggling. But until then, you take the words at their primary literal meaning. When the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, but take every word at its primary literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. I think that's a principle everyone should write down. You should know that. Now, does that mean it's all, there's always going to be agreement? No, there's going to come times where someone's going to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The primary literal meaning here is not working. And you're like, ooh, but I think it does. No, I don't think it doesn't. Okay, well, let's look at the context and figure out why you think it doesn't work. And you can't simply say, well, because that hasn't happened yet. Okay, well, wait a minute. Just because the promises have been made to Israel that that hasn't happened yet doesn't mean you go seek a fulfillment in a spiritual way inside the church. Maybe the time will come that it will be fulfilled literally to Israel. 
Now, I do believe, now this is very important, I do believe that anytime you're in the Old Testament or any prophetic passage, whenever you read the prophecy, I think this is a very important rule. The first thing you start doing is, has this prophecy been fulfilled in history? You start looking back going, wait, 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 Jeremiah promised this, it happened right here, or it happened right here. Oh, Jesus prophesied this, it happened in 70 AD. Always look for a fulfillment. Don't immediately jump to a future interpretation for us. Sometimes it was future for the original recipients, but it's now history for us. Look in history and see if you can find the fulfillment of it. If you find the fulfillment of it, then don't look for any other fulfillment. That's the general rule. Now, sometimes you'll like, well, it was kind of fulfilled there, but it wasn't complete. So then you may say, well, then it has to have a future element. I do believe we should do that. I don't think we should look for a prophecy and immediately go, oh, that's got to happen in the future. No, it may have been the future for them, but has it been fulfilled? And if you can go, well, clearly right there, it was fulfilled. That, and if it was fulfilled perfectly and completely, I don't think you look for another. That's my own. I think that's a very important hermeneutical rule. Next paragraph. God says what he means and means what he says. We are to read the Bible just as we read any other piece of writing, not trying to force some allegorical, mystical, or figurative meaning into its plain statements. Now, I believe we should not force it. Now, at the same time, we have to realize sometimes you're like, well, I think that's clearly figurative. Clearly, sometimes I think that's allegorical. Clearly, sometimes I, I don't think it's literal, but you got to have something in the text that's telling you, whoa, something here's going on. There's something here going on. You've got to find those textual textual clues to help justify you looking for a different meaning than a very literal meaning. The next paragraph says, we use figures of speech, such as metaphors, in normal speech. But we understand that these are figures of speech by the context, and we know how to interpret them. If I say I'm going for a run, we know that this means that I'm literally going to, uh, to, I'm literally going to go running. But if I say I'm going to run down to the store, we know this is a figure of speech, and it simply means I'm going to the store, whether by walking, driving, etc., the same is true for biblical prophecy. It contains figures of speech, but the Bible makes it clear that these are figures of speech and teaches us how to interpret them, either by the context itself or by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Now, I now I, they make it sound simple. I do agree it can be very complicated, right? You're like, well, wait a minute. This is a prophecy, and it seems to be using figures of speech. Now, is it prophesying something in a hyperbolic way, a poetic way, where we're like, okay, it, it, it's the, the fulfillment was this, but the description of it was way poetical and it, and it did not, wasn't fulfilled as literal or it wasn't fulfilled exactly as it was described. Well, see, that raises lots of questions. Which, which element of it is very literal? Which of it is maybe poetical, hyperbolic, or, or, or what, or any other type of figure of speech? The, these things make it complicated. They go on to say this. Contrasting the allegorical method of interpretation. All right. They want to contrast the allegorical with the normal literal. 
the allegorical with the normal literal. Now, I would challenge you. I would really challenge you to do this. I think a good way, probably an easy way, will not cost you a lot of money. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Get you a copy of the Matthew Henry commentary, the complete. Don't get the abridged. Don't get an edit. Try to get the complete, the one that is complete, specifically for the Old Testament. And anytime you're reading Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, always look to see how Matthew Henry interprets it. Because over and over and over, Matthew Henry, it'll be like, that's the church, that's the church, that's the church, that's the church. Everything's the church. Everything's the church. And you're like, well, wait a minute. What, what happened to Israel? It's like Israel's just boom, gone, and, and, and we're replaced. It's a good way to always see, uh, because you always want to see how the more... I'll just say the more allegorical approach, you do want to see how they handle the text because you do want to be challenged by it. But sometimes it, it's, it's, it's crazy. We've done that in church where I, I'll be like, we'll be looking at a passage and I'll tell someone, grab the Matthew Henry commentary and read it. And they'll be like, <laughs> yeah, nope, it's the church. Nope, it's not Israel. Nope, it's not land. And it's and over and over and over. But it's good to see it for yourself. Now, here we go. This is very important. All right, here we go. The allegorical method interprets the prophetic portions of scripture in a symbolic manner rather than in a literal one. By this method, the Old Testament prophecies of Israel's glorious earthly kingdom are interpreted as descriptions of the church age. So Zion is the church and the thousand years of, say, Revelation 20 are the church age and the desert bloomings as the rose in Isaiah 35, 1 is the fruitfulness in the church age. Now, that's that's a good description of it. Let me read that to you again. The allegorical method interprets the prophetic portions of scripture in a symbolic manner rather than in a literal one. By this method, the Old Testament prophecies of Israel's glorious earthly kingdom are interpreted as descriptions of the church age. Zion is the church, the thousand years of Revelation 20 are the church age, and the desert blooming as the rose in Isaiah 35 is the fruitfulness of the church age. So over and over and over, they're like, nope, that's not Israel. House of Israel, house of Judah. Nope, that's not that's not them literally. That's the church. This is going to happen. That's what's going to happen in the church age. They're going to get land. No, that's just the influence of the church, and then on and on and on and on and on it goes. They say, consider three examples. Three examples. The Geneva Bible, okay, and their notes on Revelation 9-11 identifies the angel of the bottomless pit as the Antichrist, the Pope, the King of Hypocrites, and Satan's ambassador. There is no reason, though, to see this angel as anything other than a literal fallen angel in a literal bottomless pit. Now, Revelation 9.11, let me read it to you really quick. Revelation 9.11. Revelation 9.11. Let me read it to you. And they had, uh, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now they're 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 like 
the Geneva Bible seems to go that this is the Antichrist, the Pope. Others are like, no, this is a literal angel of the bottomless pit. Now, is it literal or is it figurative? Is it allegorical? Is it symbolic or is it literal? Now, now your approach is going to, in other words, if, if, if you say that it's allegorical, symbolic, and that's the way you're going to approach it, then you're going to approach all of those verses in radically different ways. And someone's like, no, I'm going with a more normative literal, and I've got to go with a more literal way of approaching, the, approaching this. You're going to end up in radically different, you know, different places, all, both using the same Bible, both claiming the Bible's your final authority, which then means... Is the Bible the authority or is your hermeneutical method the authority? Because this is very important. We hold, we, we're all holding the same Bible, but we're arriving at radically different conclusions. It's like we're, we're, we're arriving in completely different countries, not even close to one another. Well, then who's the real authority? Is it the Bible or is it our hermeneutic? And I will argue that our hermeneutic typically is what is authoritative and not the Bible. Right? Because we're the one interpreting it and we're the one coming to the conclusion. So it's us exercising our own authority over scripture. I really, I mean, I, re- I know people get mad when I say that, but there's a lot of truth to that. They offer another example, Adam Clark on Revelation 20 verse 2. And what, in what this binding of Satan consists, who can tell? It's not likely that the number of thousand years is to be taken literal here. See, so someone's like, hey, that thousand years in Revelation, it's not literal. Uh, 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 Jameson Fawcett Brown on Revelation 22, thousand symbolizes that the world is perfectly uh, leavened and and pervaded by the divine. Since thousand is 10, the number of the world raised to the third power, three being the number of God. So now, you know, thousand doesn't mean thousand and all of that. it, It just, it all becomes figurative and it doesn't become literal. Now, radically different approaches. Now, it's the same scripture, but then we exercise, quote unquote, our authority, our power, our hermeneutic, which then changes the entire meaning of the text. So then is it the scriptures that are authoritative or us? Now, I'm more focused on the Old Testament here than, than these passages, but these are the examples that they provided. I would I wish they would have provided better uh examples from the Old Testament, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do our own work on that. Now, it says the early Christians interpreted prophecy literally. Now, that's the claim, is that the early Christians interpreted prophecy literally. And they use a couple of passages to try to justify this. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Let's see if we agree with this or disagree. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 19, we read these words. Now, this is the scripture they offer. We'll see if we agree or disagree. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ... Uh, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. 
Now, I think what they're saying is that they are arguing that things must play, that, that they're interpreting all of this as it must happen in a literal way. All right? All right? He will send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things, uh, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. That those words spoken by the early prophets, they, they happen literally. Jesus came literally. Jesus will return literally. I think that's what they are shooting for there. Then they say Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Now, Romans 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you would be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, literal Israel, I believe, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, literal Gentiles. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, they are saying that Paul here is understanding the salvation of Israel in a literal way. Others are like, no, 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 no. I've even had people argue with me after I preach. No, see, it's, it's the, all Israel is going to be saved. That's spiritual Israel. That's the church. That's, that's not literal Israel. And, you, and sometimes you're just like, okay, well, once again, <laughs> Israel doesn't mean Israel. And so, and, and then, and then that prophecy that, that they're quoting from there, the scripture they're quoting from there, you know, uh, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins, my covenant with them. And then you could go back to Isaiah and Jeremiah and it was like, no, 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 no. That's for the church. That's not for Israel. That's not. And you're, you just, you start having all kinds of problems. This article continues. Lutheran historian wrote, and this is Harnack, a Lutheran historian, Harnack, Adolf Harnack, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, and, and I quote, faith in the nearness of Christ's second advent and the establishing of his reign of glory on the earth was undoubtedly a strong point in the primitive Christian church. The allegorical interpretation, now, now I, I, they're going to make a claim here. They're going to say it was invented by false teachers after the time of the apostles. So let, let me stop right here. Let me stop right here. I tend not to take that kind of approach. Hey, the allegorical approach was created by false teachers. I think in some ways, the allegorical approach, especially to prophecies surrounding Israel, I'm not going to, now, like, if you've got historical documentation that clearly shows sinister motives, like evil motives in the words of the origin of the people, then okay, I'm willing to hear it. But I tend to look at it more this way. If I'm in the early church, right? I'm in the early church. I know 70 AD Israel was basically wiped off the face of the earth. The temple is gone. The priestly system is gone. Their genealogical records, everything is gone. Well, Israel is gone. And then I keep reading in my Bible. God's going to do this for Israel. God's going to do this for Israel. God's going to do this for Israel. There's got to be something in you going, wait a minute. Israel's no longer in existence. The temple is destroyed. Mm, what do you do? What do you do? 
you could see a temptation. You could see a desire to try to make it make sense. And you're going to go, well, Israel's gone, but the church is here. So those promises that that's, we interpret this in an allegorical way that it was pointing to the church all along. All along, all of this was pointing to the church. You could see the motivation to do that, not out of some like conspiratorial, you know, it wasn't the Illuminati meeting, you know, underneath, you know, a bridge at two in the morning going, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to destroy the interpretation of scripture. I tend not to look at it from such a, a negative way. I, I try to look at it much more from an understanding way. But let's see their approach. Their claim is that the allegorical interpretation was invented by false teachers after the time of the apostles. They say a school was established in Alexandria, Egypt, which became the headquarters for the allegorical method of interpretation. Egypt was a place where false teaching proliferated in the early centuries after Christ. Now they mention origin, AD 185 to 254, and Augustine, 354 to 430 were the chief fathers of the allegorical approach. All right. Now, you could with Augustine I'm more I'm more knowledgeable of Augustine than I am Origen. Now, Origen, my only issue with Origen is I've seen a lot of people, I've seen a lot of Christians praising Origen and like, well, I don't know if you really want to praise him. He had some serious issues, some serious issues. Now, with with uh, Augustine, it's sometimes joked that uh, Augustine was the father of Calvinism and Roman Catholicism all at the same time. So yeah, there were obviously some things you would disagree with Augustine as well. But when it comes to Bible interpretation, you know, Augustine was very instrumental in laying out principles of hermeneutics, of principles of Bible interpretations that has influenced the church from the time of Augustine all the way to 2023. Now, I often say about Augustine is if you look at some of the principles he gave, they were sound, solid, biblical, and we still use them. It's just sometimes he wasn't consistent with his own principle. Sometimes he almost went, he almost tried to argue against the allegorizing of everything. But then at the same time, in many cases, he would then engage in the same behavior because the allegorical idea was so dominant in the early church. At, at our church, one Wednesday night, I took in uh, a commentary from uh, an, er- an early church commentary, and it was all this allegory. And by the time I was done, basically everyone in the church is like, please don't ever do that again, because it was just insane nonsense. And you're just like, everything was like, you know, they walked three miles. Well, three represents this and walking represents this. And there was a donkey and a donkey represents this. And there were some trees. And it's like every little, every passage even if it was clearly simply a historical narrative, was just ripped apart and allegorized, and and it was it was crazy. It was a dominant hermeneutic in the early church. I don't think there's any way to get around that. All right, it says uh, through through the combined influence of Origen and Augustine, and of the Christ, uh, the Christianizing of the empire in the time of Constantine the Great. Uh, the millennial view of the kingdom was gradually eclipsed by the representation of the kingdom as a present reality. Origen said the scriptures have little use to those who understand them literally. 
He described the literal meaning of scripture as a, as bread and encouraged the students to go beyond this to the wine of the allegorical approach, whereby one can become intoxic, intoxicated and transported to the heavenly realm. So according to origin, Hey, literal is just like eating bread. Wine, that's allegory. And you can, in a sense, kind of get drunk or intoxicated and be, and I quote, you can be, um, where is it? You can be, uh, trans, see, you can be, uh, intoxicated and transported to heavenly realms. Augustine taught that the millennium is fulfilled in the Christian church. All right. That's, that's a common teaching. Uh, these men were laden down with heresies. Following are some of origins. He taught the baptismal regeneration, purgatory, the pre, the preexistence of the human soul, universalism. The Holy Spirit was the first creature made by God and Jesus is not fully God. Now, some, we could get into, uh, sometimes we get to origin and you say, here, here's what he's taught. Others will say that's a, not a fair representation, but they're clearly attaching the allegorical method to some people who had some questionable Beliefs, and I and I would argue that the allegorical method taken too far. I can understand why some people would want to use the allegorical method in regards to Israel. I can understand that, but when you go too far, you usually end up in a really messed up place. And once again, my own personal experience somewhat, you know, hinders maybe me seeing things from a completely you know objective way. But again, my, I was a student in a school where it was very reformed, very, um, you know, scripture, scripture, scripture is the final authority, you know, reform, all millennial, you know, all of these basic concepts. But the allegorical spiritualizing of text was very much present. And the next thing you know, Harold Camping is losing his ever living mind. Now the world's supposed to end in 1994. That doesn't work. Then next thing you know, it's going to end somewhere in the 2000s. The church is controlled by Satan. Everyone must leave their local congregations or that's basically taking on the mark of the beast. And it just got worse and worse and worse. But he would have been telling you, no, scripture's the authority. I'm comparing scripture with scripture. He was comparing scripture with scripture. But it was all becoming this allegorical, which made scripture like Plato that you could just, you could just shape it into whatever you want to. Because that's the thing. Once you start allegorizing it, who gets to assign the meaning of the supposed allegory? It says the Roman Catholic Church interpreted biblical prophecy allegorically throughout its history. The Protestant denominations, Anglican, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodists have also interpreted prophecy allegorically with few exceptions. This is one of the errors they brought out of Rome. And I think there may be a little bit of truth to that, right? I think there's a little bit of truth to that. Catholics definitely have a much more of a, uh, not not necessarily, definitely a non-literal approach to many aspects of it. Now, why should we interpret the prophecies literally? Well, first, God gave the scriptures to reveal truth to man, not to hide it. All right. Now, you could be argued that there's, we, we could get into a whole discussion here. Okay. But they're basically saying that, you know, God gave his word so that we could understand it. And if everything is allegorized, well, then how are you going to understand it? Because who gets to, to me, it, I, it, it's not so much that, 
well, God gave scripture to reveal truth and allegorizing would hide the truth. To my issue is who gets to then determine how you interpret the allegory? Like if you're going to say Israel isn't Israel, how do you just immediately get to assign it to the church? Now I say you can, you, they'll say, well, you try to go to the New Testament and you have a, a biblical justification. I understand that. So I'm just saying, I just think it, it, it leads to problems. So their first argument is that God gave scripture to reveal truth, not to hide it. Allegorizing hides it. Okay. Second reason we interpret the prophecies literally. Here we go. The apostles interpreted prophecy literally. The apostles interpreted prophet, uh, prophecy literally. And then they, they reference some of the things that we've already looked at, Acts 3, 18 through 21, and Romans 11, 25 through 27. That the apostles and the apostolic churches interpreted prophecy literally is admitted by most church historians as we have seen. The church at Antioch continued to interpret prophecy literally after the allegorical method was invented by heretics such as Origen. Antioch, of course, was an important church founded by Barnabas and Paul, and it is from this church that the first foreign missionaries were sent out, Acts 11 and 13 and 15. It was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Some of the preachers associated with Antioch, and then they name a whole bunch of people throughout church history, all right? Uh, and they say that they they argue that these men did not uh, hold to the allegorical method. They interpreted the Bible prophecy literally. All right, now you could go. You'd have to look at all of those individuals mentioned, and we could spend a couple hours. But their their argument is we interpret it literally because the apostles did. All right, you 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 can draw your own conclusion there. Third, Bible prophecies have always been fulfilled. Literally. Now, this to me is a big one. All right, here we go. This one is important. Prophecies about Israel were fulfilled literally. Israel's entire history was given in the great prophecy of Deuteronomy 28. See particularly verses 63 through 67. This prophecy describes Israel's defeat at the hands of foreign powers and her, her dispersion to the ends of the earth and that they have been, and they have been fulfilled literally and precisely over the past 2000 years, beginning with the Babylonian captivity and then Rome's destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and again in AD 135. So they're like, when you look at prophecies about Israel, starting back in Deuteronomy 28, moving forward, all of those prophecies were fulfilled literally. Well, then that would seem to indicate when you get further into the Bible and you have new prophecies about Israel, they too would be fulfilled literally. I think that that is a good argument. And then they say prophecies of Christ's first coming were fulfilled literally, all right? They give a bunch of them. Psalm 22, 1, Jesus' word on the cross, Matthew, with Matthew, uh, 27, 46. Psalm 22, the people reviled Jesus. We see that in Matthew 27. Psalm 22, 11, there was none to help him. We see that in Mark 14 and Hebrews 1, 3. Psalm 22, 14 through 16, they crucified him, Matthew 27, 35. Psalm 22, 14 through 15, Christ thirst uh, from blood loss, John 19, 28. Psalm 22, 17, they did not break his bones, John 19, 33. Psalm 22, 17, they stared at him, Matthew 27, 36. Psalm 22, 18, they gambled for his garments, Matthew 27. 
Some Bible prophecies prophecies have always been fulfilled literally, and there's since Bible prophecy has always been fulfilled literally. There is no reason to believe that future prophecies will be fulfilled any differently. And I think that's a good point. Take all the prophecies about Christ. Were they fulfilled literally? Was he literally born of a virgin? Was he literally born in Bethlehem? Was like all of these prophecies, did he, uh, you know, all of these were, if you say, well, all of those prophecies about Christ were fulfilled literally, then wouldn't the other prophecies have to be fulfilled literally? I mean, wouldn't you think? Fourth, the Lord Jesus said the major prophetic events are yet future. Okay. Now, maybe that's the case. Um, I, I wouldn't really worry about that one too much because uh, they're going to go here to Matthew 24, but I believe Matthew 24 was primarily fulfilled in 70 AD. So here's where I would get into a little bit of disagreement with them. They looked at Matthew 24 as being mainly future, and I looked at Matthew 24 being mainly past for us. It was future for the original recipients, but it was fulfilled in 70 AD. I think most of Matthew 24 was fulfilled in 70 AD, but I, I believe it was fulfilled literally. Right now, there's some parts there that you could say go beyond it, and I'm willing to hear that because those parts would have a hard time being fulfilled literally. But okay. Um, fifth, it says Christ rebuked his disciples for not believing the prophecies and their literal interpretation. They have here Luke 24. Let's go here, Luke 24. Luke 24. 25, all right, Jesus is speaking. He said unto them, O fools and slow of hearts, to believe uh, to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He's like, why didn't you believe the prophets? The prophets prophesied of me and it's literally been fulfilled. And I, I do agree that Christ is rebuking them for not understanding. All right, Um They offer some more ideas here. They offer some more ideas here. I'm not going to go through the rest of these, right, because of time, because I've got to try to get you to what I want to get you to. All right, here's the thing. The allegorical, non-literal method has dominated the church throughout church history over and over and over again. There's no way to get around that. That's just factual. I believe the allegorical method is inconsistent considering when we look at all the prophecies about Christ's first coming, we believe that they were fulfilled literally. Well, then how are the other prophecies not fulfilled literally, right? And so, and if they're not literal, then it's open up to the interpreter's imagination, right? If it's not literal, then you can say, well, this represents this, this represents that. And it's just, it's a free-for-all. And I believe that that is problematic. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just find four passages in the book of Jeremiah. Four passages, right? 
that clearly seem to be prophetic, right? It's where Jeremiah is saying, this is going to happen. He's prophesying something is going to happen. Now, clearly it's going to be about Judah. It's going to be about Israel, clearly, right? And then I want you to ask yourself, for example, well, just see, we'll do this, all right? I was almost going to start explaining some of them for you, but I don't want to explain them for you. Find four passages in Jeremiah where clearly something is being prophesied and then ask yourself, literal or allegorical? And if it's allegorical, how do you interpret it? I want you to find four passages and I want you just to look at it and go, do I take that literal or if I take it allegorical? If I take it literal, what conclusion do I come to? If I take it allegorical, what conclusion do I come to? And then I want you to look at those four passages in the Matthew Henry commentary and see how he handles those four passages. Just find four, four in the book of Jeremiah, just find. And I want to see the four you pick and I want you to see, I want you to write down how you would interpret it literally, how you would interpret it allegorically. And then I want you to tell me, you can cut and paste if you want, what Matthew Henry had to say. It'll be a fun exercise. Don't worry. Don't get all, don't get all worried about anything. Just like, you know, here's, well, okay, here's a, this clearly seems to be prophesying something. Okay. Even if you don't, you don't have to be an expert on it. And just like Jeremiah seems to be prophesying that this is going to happen. Now, if I take it literal, mm, and, and if it leads to a problem, admit it. If I take it allegorical, I don't have a clue what it means. Okay. Or I think it would mean this. And then look at what Matthew Henry has to say. The literal method versus the more allegorical method. Now, the article we read seemed to assign, you know, evil intentions to those who went with the allegorical method. I, I, I can understand why went, but I, why some went that way, because again, Israel didn't exist. And so what are you going to do? But I think it is important. If we go to Deuteronomy, I think this is a, I think that one of the best arguments they made in this article, and they, they offer a lot more ar- uh, arguments, but some of them I would have to then probably depart from a little bit because I believe, uh, again, sometimes people take passages and assign future meanings where I don't believe there's a future meaning. Uh, I believe it's already been fulfilled, but um, where is it? Um, yeah, Deuteronomy 28 63 through 67. Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 63. Deuteronomy 28, verse 63. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, and you shall be plucked from off the land whether thou goest to, uh, to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all the people from one end of the earth even unto the other, and there thou shalt serve other gods which neither thou, thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. If you look at Deuteronomy 28, 63 and following, it's literally... prophesying exactly what happened. If you're reading Jeremiah right now, if you read Deuteronomy 28, you're like, God literally told him this was going to happen. Literally told. And it was literally fulfilled. Um... It says, and among these nations shall thou find no ease, neither the sole of thy foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and a failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. 
and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shall fear day and night, and shall have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shall say, Would God it would were even, and at and even though thou shall say, Would God it were morning for the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shall fear, and for the sight of thine eyes, and thou shalt see. And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships by the way whereof I spake unto thee. Thou shalt see it no more again, and there you shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Wow. I mean, those... Is, is, are those literally fulfilled? Do those things happen literally to Israel? Well, if they do in Deuteronomy, then why do we get to later passages? It it's always seems odd to me that the passages of judgment, bondage, you know, destruction were like literal. And then went over those passages flipped to glorious future, restoration, land, you know, regeneration, new heart, salvation for Israel. We're like, nope, 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 nope. That's, that's for us. I just don't know how you do that. So I want you to find four passages in the book of Jeremiah that are clearly prophecy, prophesying something. And I want you to just ask yourself, if I take this literal, right, just with the normal usage of language, what do I understand? If I take it allegorically, how do I understand it? And then look at Matthew Henry and see how he approaches it. That's a simple exercise that will keep you busy. And then don't forget those five sermons. And that just helped you out, right? If you find if you find those four passages and you don't know what sermon to look for, you can always pick a sermon on one of those passages you find to see how the pastor interprets it as literal or allegorical. There you go. There, there, there you go. That's, I, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. I want to go through all the rest of the things they had to say in the article, though. I really do. But, um, yeah. So their argument and summary, why should we interpret the prophecies literally? First, God gave scripture to reveal truth, not to hide it. Okay. Only reason I think there's sometimes he seemed to give scripture in order, uh, he gave scripture in order to hide it, right? To hide truth, right? Like maybe some of the parables. That gets into a whole different discussion. Second, the apostles interpreted prophecy literally. Okay, I do believe when you read the New Testament and they make reference to Old Testament prophecy, they do seem to be interpreting it literally. Third, the Bible prophecies have always been fulfilled literally. Prophecies about Israel fulfilled literally. Prophecies about Christ were fulfilled literally. I do believe that's true. Fourth, the Lord Jesus said the major prophetic events are yet future. Now, the only problem there is they go to Matthew 24. And I believe Matthew 24 it primarily was fulfilled. It was future at the time, but it was, I believe, 70 AD. All right. Fifth, Christ rebuked the disciples for not believing the prophecies and their literal interpretation. Luke 24, 25 through 27. I do believe that is true. Um now, it, it does go on to say the stage is set today for the literal fulfillment of prophecies. Okay, maybe. Um, it says ne next, practical necessity demands the literal interpretation of prophecy. All right. 
Um, I, I, I do believe practical necessity almost demands a little literal interpretation. Cause if you're not doing the literal interpretation, I don't know where you, I don't know where you could end up. I don't know where you could end up. They give an example here. I'll just read this one. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, you know, through the Bible radio, the Bible bus, he was trained in the allegorical method of interpretation, but he realized as a young man that it resulted in foolishness. This is J. Vernon McGee. I quote, I went to seminary that was all millennial where they attempt to fit the rest of revelation into historical, uh, into the historical or the all millennial viewpoint. It became ridiculous and even comical at times. For example, when we reached the place where scripture says that Satan was put into the bottomless pit, we were taught that he has already, this has already taken place. I asked the professor, how do you explain the satanic activity that is taking place today? He replied, Satan is chained, but he has a long chain on him. It's like when you take a cow out into the vacant lot and tether her on a long rope, but let her gaze or graze. That was his explanation. And my comment was, doctor, I think Satan's got a pretty long chain on him when because he is able to graze all over the world today. It really makes some scripture seem rather ridiculous when you follow the allegorical viewpoint through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. I do agree that it, you know practical necessity almost demands it. And then they have last, prophecy as an apologetic demands literal interpretation. I, I think that is true. If you're going to use prophecy as an, al, an uh, as an apologetic, what do we do? How do we know the Bible is from God? Because it gives these prophecies way before the event happened. And then the events happened literally. Well, if it's an allegorical approach, now what we typically do is, well, that prophecy is literal. That one's allegorical. That one's literal. That one's allegorical. But then you just get to pick and choose. And just remember, just because it hasn't been fulfilled doesn't mean we have to look for a spiritual fulfillment. It just means it hasn't been fulfilled. Okay, your assignment. Four passages in Jeremiah that are clearly prophetic. I want you to write, I want you to just, what does it mean to you from an uh, uh a literal perspective? What does it mean to you from an allegorical perspective? Look up uh, Matthew Henry commentary and then look at how he handles it. Don't forget also, you need to listen to five sermons, random sermons uh, on the book of Jeremiah on the Sermons 2.0 app. Download the Sermons 2.0 app, five sermons on Jeremiah. That's going to kind of serve as your substitute teachers for the week that I'm gone. And if you want you can grab, you can use some of those sermons to listen to other preachers. Look at the prophetic passages that you chose, or you can just choose random, but just make sure it's five different preachers, not the same. I want you to get a wide variety. All right. A wide uh, variety. If they are more reformed and Presbyterian, you may get more of the allegorical approach. If there's something else, you may get more of a literal. Now, I'm much more reformed in my soteriology, but when it comes to the allegorical approach, I definitely go from a much more literal approach in my interpretation. And my eschatology is very much driven by a more literal approach. But you can tell me where you end up. It should be a fun exercise. All right. There you go. 62 minutes. That took a long time. That's a lot to process. 
a lot of information, but it's critical. And I want you to just realize the danger. We say the scriptures are the authority, but sometimes we have to acknowledge if everyone's using the same authority, then why do we end up in such radically different places? It's because we are using a hermeneutical approach. And we apply that approach to the scriptures, and those approaches lead us into radically different places. Now, once that happens, you have to ask, is it the scripture the authority, or is it our hermeneutic the authority? That's a troubling thought and something that should keep you up late at night. Now, you go and study. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I want to know how you're doing, your process, your progress, and where you're having difficulty or struggle, because we will address it as soon as we can. Tomorrow, Victory Baptist Church, three hours in the book of Jeremiah, should be helpful, should be beneficial. Then I'm gone for basically four days, and then we'll get back and we'll pick up right where we left off. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.